Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Galit Speaks podcast. I have a returning guest for us today. Super excited because he is a wealth of knowledge and information and wisdom. Uh, I have Daniel John Carey here. And after going plant-based to help heal from kidney failure and ongoing kidney problems, Daniel dove into learning about vegan nutrition. As someone already involved in publishing, he then spent years helping doctors and nutritionists write books. He wrote the book, Plant-Based Regenerative Nutrition, published in this year. He's also the author of Dream Another Dream, Dream Your World, and a book about screenwriting. He runs a screenwriting workshop in Los Angeles that has over a thousand members. He publishes screenplays for independent film producers and directors. I'm so happy to reintroduce you. Thank you so much for being here, John. Thank you for having me and your cosmic hair. I love it. Um, it's the, the color of the sky and the cosmos and the oceans and all that cool stuff. Yeah, it, it's actually very funny that you say that. Um, I So I love sharks, so it's ocean for me and um all the way but like i've now had multiple colors of blue in it and so it's now just everything every blue that i can i think there are like four colors in my hair right now <laughs> that's cool yeah <laughs> so um yeah i wrote this book plant-based nutrition it came out this year like you said, I, I originally started getting involved in nutrition because I had kidney failure and I had to relearn how to know what what I should eat. A bunch of doctors wanted me to have a kidney transplant. And um, I one doctor said that the only thing he sees that works really well with my kind of situation is if you get rid of all animal protein from your diet. And I didn't really know what that meant. I was sort of vegetarian-ish. I didn't really like meat. I never, I hardly ever ate eggs. I really couldn't eat eggs. I would, it would make me sick. But um, so I ate dairy and I was like a cheese addict and um, some chicken and turkey and stuff. But I just cut all that out, which was perfectly fine with me. It was like, really, I don't even have to eat those things. I was like, good. Um, and so then I, to learn about nutrition, I just started studying and reading nutrition books and going to the library and reading um, like scientific things, manuals and stuff like that, journals. And um, I eventually, I was involved in publishing because I had owned a newspaper or a small magazine in Los Angeles that I sold and I worked for newspapers and magazines. And I started, um, I joined this publishing organization and it's an international organization of publishers and writers and editors and book designers and stuff called it was called publishers marketing association they changed the name to something else now but um and then i started editing books for authors including doctors and nutritionists i did that for a long time and i was basically sort of writing their books for them and i was amazed at how little some of the doctors knew about nutrition and i would tell them and i would look things up and the scientific studies and stuff and show them that. But I learned so much that I ended up writing my own book. <laughs> and, uh, but that came out this year. Um, but I, so at first I was, I mean, I was already sort of concerned about animals anyway. When I was younger, 
my um i saw my neighbors had brought home a deer they went hunting and they hung it from the backyard tree to drain its blood and um that was very strange and so i sort of started doing stuff when i was a teenager because i was also i had a garden since i was seven years old and i grew up in ohio and um i really liked gardening and there was also an, an abandoned farm down the street that had been turned into a city park, but like a third of it was still there, overgrown with like trees, all sorts of trees, but mixed in with the trees were like the apple trees and the plum trees and the peach trees and the cherry trees and stuff. So in the summer, I would eat for free a lot down there. Um, I was I grew up in a family that didn't really pay attention to me. And uh, so I wandered around from a young age and did whatever I wanted. but. Um, so I, I, I was really getting into that kind of nature kind of thing when I was younger. Um, did, do you have, do you have a place where you garden now yourself? Do I No. So oh. it's funny because I actually love plants and my place in New York, um, is full of plants, but since I've moved to Arizona, um, it has been so hard to keep things alive. Um, so right now my plants are cacti. Oh, like okay. That's pretty much what I've been able to keep alive. <laughs> and the heat there is extraordinary from what yeah. I've been reading this summer. We, I just heard on the news today that they, it's official that this summer was the hottest summer ever recorded since records have been kept and um, not a, not a surprise when you consider what's yeah. going on. And a lot of that heat has to do with what we've been doing to the planet. And the largest thing that we that takes up the most room on the planet is farming. And the most of the farming, especially on the continents, is to raise feed crops and to graze cattle. And um, those cattle produce a lot of methane, which is a really strong greenhouse gas that's worse than um, the other gas, CO2. But, um, and we've cut, demolished a lot of the rainforests, especially in South America. Uh, Costa Rica has been regrowing their rainforests, so that's cool. They got rid of um, a lot of the acreage that was used for cattle grazing, but Brazil and some other countries, they're still allowing massive um, destruction of the rainforest. Not only for lumbering, but we, even when they cut down the trees for lumber, then a lot of that land also becomes used for other stuff. Like they cut down the rest of the trees and they plant feed crops for cattle. And the, a lot of those feed crops get exported to other countries. And it's not, it's, it's so, it's awful. It's dividing up, um, it's raising the heat of the rainforest for one thing, because the trees keep the, the, the trees keep it cooler when you cut down the trees the ground plants don't keep it as cool and the yeah. temperature rises and now they're having a problem because the canopy at the top is getting hotter than it's ever been also and the trees aren't photosynthesizing because the leaves are too hot and they don't know exactly what's going to go on now that that's a problem um and I read it just this summer, you probably heard about this, the, um, not that I use bees, but I mean, realistically, 
the bee farming is a thing or beekeeping and it's used on a lot of fruits and vegetable farms they ship the beehives around and they pollinate the crops and in arizona they've had a problem because it's so hot that the bees the bee colonies their hives have been melting and killing the bees and um that is also related to the raising of the um, temperature of the earth. And a lot of that has to do with the meat industry. So it often goes back right to the meat industry. Um, but it's really not even that. It's it's everything. It's from, um, there's a problem. People don't even know. The, I don't know if I spoke to you last time about sharks. No, but I love sharks. Oh, so, here we go. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's my thing. You might know some of this already. People don't realize how dependent we are, no matter where you live, on sharks because sharks are the carn the main carnivores of the oceans, and they move large schools of fish all over the ocean, which help fertilizes the ocean, and that helps grow sea plants, including seagrasses and seaweeds and stuff, but um, which a lot of other sea life depend on, and we get most of our oxygen from the oceans. So the the sharks are helping move fish around, huge schools of fish that are fertilizing the oceans, and then that's growing the plants that produces the oxygen. And most of the oxygen we breathe is from the oceans, and so we are connected to sharks that way. Um, but then all the way up to the tops of the mountains, where there's well, maybe at the very top, there's no trees up there, but. Um, the forest also depend on like in California and other places, the salmon that swim up the rivers all the way into Idaho and stuff. Um, those, those salmon, they carry nutrients from the ocean. And when the bears and the eagles and the other, the mountain lions and other animals eat the salmon that swim up the rivers to spawn, those nutrients from the salmon end up in the bears and the other animals and the, the birds. And when they go poop or their they end up dying and they, their bodies decompose, that spreads nutrients from the ocean into the forest, which also helps produce our oxygen and our rivers because forests are the, um, they help create the original part of the rivers, the headwaters, which then turn into bigger rivers and feed the lakes and all the way down to the oceans. and it's all connected. Um, but I don't eat salmon. A lot of people do. Uh, I don't eat any animals or fish or um, a lot of people when you say you're vegetarian or something, they go, but you eat, you eat fish, don't you? And I'm like, no, I don't eat anything with eyes. Um, but the thing is that you don't, what I found out, and I'm, I was glad about is that I, you don't need to eat animals. I can understand people who live on an island or like you're, uh, you're an Eskimo or um, native people up in Canada, northern Canada and places like that who hunt caribou and things like that. I can understand it. But um, continental people, the people like we don't need to eat animals. and. We also could be growing more fruits and vegetables, which also I know some people can't because they're in situations where they don't have any land at all. Um, I I have a vegetable garden, 
luckily. And so I grow a lot of food and I also give a, a lot of it away. Um, but when I had my kidney disorder, well, I still do, but it doesn't really affect me that much anymore. Um, I was having all sorts of health problems, including kidney failure. And what would happen is animal protein would make my kidneys bleed. And then my kidneys would clog with blood clots. And then it ended up shutting my kidneys down. And that's how I, they said I died in the hospital one time when I was 29. Um, they were going to ship, put my body in the morgue, like hospital morgue and the, nurse who came to prepare my body to transfer to the morgue saw my eyes move and so i was basically minutes away from going into a refrigerator but after that and i thought maybe i should really try what this other doctor told me to do and eliminate all animal protein so i basically just started eating real simple like rice beans chopped up vegetables um guacamole and salsa and fruit and orange juice and stuff like that just like really simple and i within weeks i started getting i started feeling so much better it was kind of i didn't know what to do with myself eventually um i also had a back injury which was awful and i was going through that at the same time but eventually after like four years um i they said i wasn't going to be able to ride a bike or swim or um run or all this other stuff but i ended up my a girlfriend moved up to northern california and i brought my bike up there and i rode my bike down the coast by myself and um camped on the beaches and i didn't have any i i had so much energy it was kind of nuts because i was used to being sick and spending so much time in bed in my 20s especially in my later 20s and then i all of a sudden i had all this energy and i was doing crazy stuff but it all had to do with my diet um there are ways of eating vegan that are really unhelpful. Yeah. You can eat potato chips and beer all day and you're a vegan and yeah. donuts and stuff and Oreo cookies, Oreo cookies that are supposedly vegan. Yes, they are uh, accidentally vegan. <laughs> yeah. Um, and now all these other companies are coming out with vegan products but they're really not that healthy they're processed ingredients they're very salty and oily um i i stay away from oil myself um that's one thing that they don't want me having is um much oil there's oil in every cell of every plant of every every fruit and vegetable when you squeeze lemon there's oil a sheen of oil that'll float on the water so it's not like cutting out bottled oil is going to cut out all oil they just don't want me having the clarified oils, but there's always like sesame, like tahini is pure sesame seeds. I do have tahini when I make hummus. I don't put olive oil in my hummus, um, but I there's a whole website about um, vegan oil-free food called forksoverknives.com and it's put together by a bunch of doctors and um, nutritionists, including T. Colin Campbell of um, Cornell University in New York. And uh, well, it was also started by um, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn, the, doc, the heart doctor at the Cleveland Heart Clinic. And so he, they put, he puts all of his heart patients on a vegan diet and it does, he, he's proved it through all of his studies. And now he has other, a lot of many other doctors involved with his 
forks over knives thing where they've done all sorts of studies and yes, it does reverse heart disease um, and improve, eliminate type two diabetes and improve the condition of other diabetics um, and reduce the incidence, incidence of arthritis and osteoporosis and all this other stuff if you eat a, eat a healthy vegan diet. Um, but there's like I said, there's a lot of these companies coming out because they know it's a big marketing tool now that people want to eat plant based. And one of the top documentaries right now on uh, Netflix is a vegan nutrition documentary. I forget what it's called. Do you know what Game I'm talking about? Game changers. Game changers. Yeah. Yeah. Or game changers, um, something like that. Yeah. That was actually one of the first documentaries that I watched that I was like, I think I'm going to try veganism. Like it was like my first, I was already, um, I was already leaning towards a lot of vegan food because I'm allergic to dairy. And I just knew that like I'd be safe with vegan food and I wouldn't get sick. Um, but once I saw Game Changers, I was like, hmm, maybe I shouldn't be eating meat either. And that was kind of like my first introduction into like veganism. Did you find it easy or it was fun or interesting or? Yeah, for me, it was a really easy, smooth transition. Um, I, so what ultimately solidified it, um, I was pretty much just eating eggs at that like I was, I had pretty much reduced myself to just eating eggs. Um, and then I met um, who, someone who is now my husband and he had been vegan for many, many years. And he's like, and I was like, hey, I'm interested in being vegan. Like, this is pretty much where I'm at right now. Can you help? And him being vegan for, uh, at that time, I think he had been vegan for like eight years. Um, he just kind of was like, Hey, this is the stuff that we can eat. This is the stuff we can't eat. Don't buy this in the supermarket. Yes. Buy this because, you know, he had already pre-tested all of this, all of the stuff. And, um, it was just a really easy, smooth transition for me. Like I, and honestly, I feel like I don't miss it at all. Um, I think he actually craves meat more than I do. Like every now and then we'll pass like a barbecue spot and like the smell kind of makes me a little, ugh. but him, he's like, mm, you know, like I miss steak. And maybe it's just cause he's been, he hasn't had one in so incredibly long, you know, like. He likes the smell of polycyclic aromatic hydrocarbons. <laughs> I guess. I mean, yeah. Like, um, but for me, like, I'm totally, I've reached a point where like, I'm totally turned off by anything meat. Like, yeah, meat. I accidentally I ate, um, I was work. I work on sometimes on movies and TV shows. And one time I was a long time ago, I was working on a, I think it was a TV show, but they have catering and, yeah. um, on TV shows. And when you break for lunch, it's all the foods just there. And I thought the stuff was rice and I was at eating with the other people as the other actors I was with. And, um, 
it didn't taste right. And I was like, what is this stuff? And they said, oh, that's cheese. It's some kind of Italian cheese or something that looks like rice. I don't know what it's called. But um, that was the only time I've eaten. But it didn't taste good for someone who used to eat a lot of cheese. And now it's like, it just tastes, it was kind of slimy and gross. And it, I don't know, it's just like no cheese for me. But there's ways of making cheese that are actually good for you. Um, mixing simple things like soak pine nuts in water for a half hour and then drain the water and blend them with a lemon a lemon juice and some nutritional yeast and maybe some herbs even black pepper or herbs and use that as a soft spreadable cheese there's all all sorts of vegan recipes on um, youtube about how to make different things but um some of them use really awful <laughs> ingredients like those um what are those called those beyond beef burgers i don't i tried one of those once and i know it smelled and tasted like I mean i couldn't get the taste out of my mouth i was like rinsing with lemon juice and stuff trying to get the but i didn't even finish it and um but i encourage people to really just you could chop up a bunch of vegetables and mix it with hummus and guacamole and eat that it's really good or even use that as a wrap get some lavash bread and stuff it in there but um, it's people like sometimes like, what do you eat if you don't eat meat? And I'm like, there's only 37,000 varieties of edible plants or something like that. And they're like, really? You know, yeah, there's and even when they eat meat, their meat is also flavored with herbs and spices and stuff. You could use those same herbs and spices to flavor other stuff and make um, your own burgers i do like certain veggie burgers like i'll make them i'll grind carrots and use lentils and herbs and spices and stuff and you can make a bunch of them and freeze them get a hamburger press if you want to and you could freeze veggie burgers that you make at home um but when oh well i was gonna say that um growing food I was talking to a friend yesterday and he he lives in the San Fernando Valley, which used to be farms, just not even that, maybe like 60, 50 years ago, a lot of it was still farms. And now it's apartment buildings and houses and urban sprawl and mini malls. But um, he was talking about how a lot of the houses there, some of them still have the original they'll have like two or three citrus trees still that were left from over from when they grew the farms. But um, he was talking about the prices of food, which are going up. And that's going to happen more because of the f so much flooding. We've lost hundreds of thousands of acres in, um, or thousands of acres in California last winter because the floods that flooded parts of the farmland up there um also carried all kinds of toxic waste and pollution and now those farms aren't going to be available all that farmland's not going to be available for a couple years they think maybe longer they have to keep testing the soil so stuff like that is um helping to raise the price of food and the availability so it's really good if you have a space to grow food you can grow like even me i take the seeds you could buy a um, a spaghetti squash or any kind of squash from the store, get one in organic, hopefully, and take the seeds from it and plant those. And then you'll have 
you can just keep growing those forever. I have tons of squash right now. I keep giving them away to people, but um, I, and also like I'll let some of the onions keep growing until they flower and then they form seeds and then it just drops the seeds so that then those seeds turn into more onions. So there's ways of growing food that are really cheap. And I take all of my kitchen scraps and I compost them into soil. I actually just once a week or so, I take the big, um, I have a container. It's actually a fish food container from a, an aquarium. They threw it away and I was like, hey, that's good because it has a sealable lid. And I put all this kitchen scraps in there and then I take it over to the garden and I dig a hole and I bury it. So there's like, I just keep burying different pails full of kitchen scraps in my garden. It keeps the soil moist and the the bacteria and the fungus in the ground, which helps transfer nutrients into the plants, rich that way. And it's good for the worms and all that other stuff. But um, and it also helps the birds because the birds dig in my garden to find the worms. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, when I was growing up, we would always buy the seeds and there was a lady up the street who grew tomato plants and she would sell them to all the other neighbors. I grew up in a neighborhood where there's a lot of uh, European people and um, that a lot of them had their big backyard gardens. And usually it was the man in the household who kept the garden going. And there was this one guy, well, there are a few of these European men who kept their gardens going year round because they would cover them up with really thick plastic, like layers of thick plastic, and they would cover things with hay and keep things growing year round, like the potatoes and things. And because um, the winters in Ohio could get pretty, Northern Ohio could get pretty brutal, but somehow yeah. that's how they, they learned how to do it when they were growing up with their grandparents showing them how to grow fruits and vegetables. And I wish that was a more of a tradition now. Most people are reliant on stores and restaurants for every calorie they eat. And I don't think that's very wise. At least support local organic farmers, um, organic produce farmers. You could look up online and probably find a lot of them um, or go to your local farmer's street farmer's market. And yeah, um, that's what I do here. Yeah, ask the organic gardeners there or ask the, the farmers there if they are organic and support them. Um, when I grew up in Cleveland, the farmer's market was indoors. There's the West Side Market and there was the Central Market. I don't know if the Central Market moved, but they have been, I worked there when I was in 11th grade and um, they demolished the Central Market and they built the baseball stadium. So when you're watching the Cleveland Guardians baseball team play on that field, that field used to be the Central Market where I worked when I was in high school. Um, but that, so yeah, certain cities, have indoor farmers markets but here in california and especially where i live there's large uh they in santa monica where i live they shut down four blocks every wednesday and farmers from all over the region come and they sell fruits and vegetables they're not all organic but um apparently this farmers market has the most registered organic farmers in america for a street farmers market um do you have good ones there and where you live yeah, so there, um, there's one excellent farmer's market, and it has not just farmers, it also has just local businesses. So I get a lot of my food there, you know, like, 
um i have like a cashew cheese vendor and like um different milk vendors so like cashew milk and coconut milk and like all different variations and um <laughs> there's a a place called uh, fluffy vegans which does like all homemade but like deli meats and cheeses and like i'll get like my parmesan cheese from them they make it out of nutritional yeast and just like a whole assortment of stuff and they have like a lot of actually vegan vendors so like i'll go there and get vegan grilled cheese or you know something else that like i wouldn't be able to get so it's got like it's got the the vegetables it's got like breads it's got pretty much everything every type of vendor it's I think it's like 100 150 vendors or something it's like crazy big um and they have that every wednesday and every saturday uh it's called uptown farmers market and then which i'm actually going to start soon um there is a farm a local farm in like the next town over that does um like a delivery like a farm box delivery of all the different like an assortment of all the vegetables that they that they're growing and it changes throughout the year based on what they have they polycrop um, yeah. yeah so i'm i i'm gonna start doing that because i think it's just the i so for a while when i lived in new york um i i loved misfits market i don't know if you've heard of them i've heard of it yeah so i loved like not knowing what comes in the box and then having to make something out of it um and so like i really want that again where it's just like give me a box of i don't care if they look pretty or whatever i just want like fresh veggies fresh fruits and like i'll figure out what to make from it yeah you could google any like how what recipe for and type in whatever fruit and vegetable you have and something will come up on youtube yeah um, like sometimes i didn't even know what the vegetable was called and i'd just be like hey i'm gonna roast it and see what happens right now i have these squash in my garden and i don't even know what kind of squash they are but i keep giving them to my friend and she's making soup out of them and stuff but uh, <laughs> well farmers markets are great um we we also in Santa Monica, we're supposed to compost all of our kitchen scraps anyway. I think it might be a law in California now or something. But um, so the city had to put out separate containers at the trash bins. One's green and we're supposed to put all of our kitchen scraps in there for fruits and vegetables. So they're doing that and that's they're trying to reduce the amount of methane and stuff that's rotting in the um, yeah. landfills. So there's good things happening like that. Um, when I travel, there's 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 always that concern of like, what am I going to eat? And um, my friend owns Bear Bar. Have you ever had those? I'm not sure. There, he's in San Diego. His name's Brian Bowers, but he started this company called Bear Bar, and it's a nutrition bar, but it's like a salad. It's not sweet. It's like a cracker sort of. But I crumble them up and sometimes, and I put them in salad. But if you look up bearbar.com, it's a white label. And he's just coming out with four, three other flavors. And um, he started it a few years ago before the pandemic. And then the pandemic almost killed his business. 
luckily he was able to pull through and now he has on his his own industrial kitchen where they're manufacturing the bear bars and they have five ingredients at least the original one but it's like um kale and cashews and dried red bell peppers and i forget what else is in there lemon and something else but the original that flavor super good because i find that a lot of vegan protein bars are super sweet and i am not big on sweet well his so bars bear bars are savory so okay and you could crumble them up and put them in a salad <laughs> and they're high protein well they have cashews they're actually keto so because okay. um, there's no there's no grains or anything there's no sugars there's no artificial ingredients or dyes or flavors or anything but they're very pure um i wish i had the he sent me a box and i was sharing them with people I, he sent me a case and i was giving away to like coffee houses and stuff around here um and then oh a friend of mine you were you mentioned the the company that makes vegan meats there's actually a vegan deli in la it's in the um uh, Huntington Park, or I forget the name of it, near Pasadena, South Pasadena. What's that? Butcher? What did you say? The vegan butcher. Yeah. It's yeah. something like that because I've heard about it and I've been wanting to visit it to see like what they have. Because I went I, over there. I do eat like um, like I eat Impossible um, stuff like that, especially like. Um, the stuff I don't like. <laughs> yeah, because I am more. I became vegan more for the animals, not really for health. The health thing was just a benefit that I've realized later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, we still, especially because my my husband kind of like likes the taste of meat, but doesn't like yeah. actual meat. Um, so we do like Impossible Beyond, not as much. Um, but things like that. So yeah, I'm, I'm interested in seeing it. Yeah, it gives people options. This woman I know she makes, she's she was making Beyond Burgers or whatever for her husband and not telling him that it was, and he didn't know for months and that he, she was eating vegan burgers. But uh, I guess they're that, they taste that similar. Um, the vegan butcher, I went over there because a friend of mine makes, she started a vegan baking company and she makes cakes and brownies and some other stuff. And so her stuff is sold at the vegan butcher's shop on the counter. So I went over there and I met with a, a writer, a screenwriter friend of mine, and we had lunch. And now he keeps going back because he lives closer to there. But um, there's so many vegan restaurants in LA now, it's kind of crazy. And they have a good um, record of staying open. Most restaurants in LA County close within a year of opening the vegan restaurants tend to last and last and last. And there's like, they go out of business because like they'll lose their lease or something like that, rather than yeah. they don't get enough business. There was a one in Santa Monica that went out of business. Um, but he just sort of went um, delivery. So he has food that's de delivered and then he sells packaged foods in um, the health food stores and stuff like that. So he didn't really go out of business. Um, we have, there's, you can literally go to a different vegan restaurant in LA for every meal for a month and not go to the same vegan restaurant. Yeah. That's how many there are. 
Uh, but I don't really eat at restaurants much because of the oil thing. I don't really like oil, but I will meet, like if I meet friends, I'll go and I'll eat whatever and um, go off my strict eating way. But I do feel slowed down. Um, my, I have one working adrenal gland <laughs> and both my kidneys are screwed up. So I do get affected by foods really much easier than other people. And I didn't know I had kidney disease until I was like 23. Um, so, but yeah, like you, uh, well, opposite of you, like I first really started getting interested in vegetarianism when I was 10 or 11. Um, 11 i forget it's in my journal when i was a kid i used to write everything down but um when i saw that deer get killed or that dead deer get what they did to it um but so i at first sort of kind of started tilting that way when i was a kid teenager but then the um it was a, a turn into a nutrition thing with my health and then after i became vegan I started learning more about the animal issues and I didn't know the horrible things, the way the animals are raised and what they're fed and what they're treated with and the horrors that they go through in the slaughterhouse and how everything like they treat them, they give them unnatural diets because their goal is to fatten them up yeah. as soon as they can to get them sold to the market. And the dairy cows are also, once they, their milk production slows down. They're just like, basically they are mechanically raped to keep them pregnant. Then the, when they have a baby cow, a baby bull, a male baby, the baby bulls get shipped out and they're killed and their meat is sold as veal. And then the baby cows, the girl, the girl babies are kept because they could produce milk. And then they're impregnated as soon as they can get them impregnated so they do that mechanically and then there's re impregnated impregnated to keep the milk flowing and then after a few years they're sent off to the butcher the slaughterhouse and that meat is often turned into like fast food stuff fast yeah. food burgers and things um and then when you look you can google all this stuff on there's a lot of stuff on youtube about factory farming and a lot of the farm animals now don't even go outside. They spend their entire life like chickens and turkeys and even dairy cows and stuff like that. Some, they hardly ever or rarely go outside. Um, and what does that do to their system? They're also treated with pharmaceutical drugs to keep them because they're all crowded together. So they have to keep yeah. their them from not getting pneumonia and all this other. Um, so they're when you eat meat you're also getting residues of pharmaceutical drugs in your food and then um with when they slaughter them your body creates fear chemicals the yeah. flight or fight or flight chemicals and the the cows and stuff they you could watch the videos it's really unfortunate but um they're online but what they go through is unfortunate um, it's good the videos are online because it's educating people. They're so scared. Sometimes they're shivering and they're crying and they you can see that they're upset. They know what's happening. They could hear what the next cow in line is going through. And they know like this, they could hear their friends being killed. But um, the chemicals that rush through their system are also the fear chemicals that end up in the meat. 
And it's interesting. I don't know if there's been an official study, but um, what does that do? What do those chemicals do to us? And what about the cheap meat that's sold at fast food restaurants? And is there really a connection between inner city violence and the foods they're eating at fast food restaurants? Because a lot of the inner cities, the poor areas, that's basically what they have. They have fast food restaurants and yeah. they're like healthy food deserts. And um, there is a guy, I wish I could remember his name, in South in Central LA or South LA, who started growing food and teaching his neighbors how to grow food. And he actually got a law passed in Los Angeles so that you could plant your tree lawn, the lawn between the sidewalk and the street, the tree lawn. You're allowed to plant that as a vegetable garden now in LA if you live in LA. So a lot of people are doing that. And he's, uh, I wish I could remember his name. Um, he's a black man and he's spoken, he's done like TED talks and stuff like that, but he's really a good guy and he's made positive changes in people's lives by helping them to grow, you know, grow food and also get the law passed. Um, his name is in my brain. So um, if the, the less we contribute to animal farming, the better. When you consider that we don't even need that, yeah. Why are we killing all these animals, billions and billions per year, when you consider all the fish killed, taken from the oceans, and how it's depleting the oceans of life? And also, uh, when you talk about sharks, people kill sharks. Fisher people, or whatever you want to call them now, um, they shoot sharks because the sharks eat the fish. Yeah. And then also people are killing sharks because they're cutting, they simply cut off the fin and then let the shark die because the fish can't, the shark can't swim if, without its fin. And that's a problem because we kill, how many sharks per year are we killing? Like 2 million or something? It's huge numbers. It's huge numbers. And the entire ecosystem of the ocean suffers. Like the, the healthiest, um, the mark of a healthy reef is how many sharks it has. And if it does not have sharks, it is an unhealthy reef. And the ocean is not healthy because the oh. sharks are, you know, eating, they are like the garbage people, you know, they are eating the sick and the dying fish and making sure that everything is healthy and, and progressing. Another thing about how the meat and dairy industry damages the earth besides the methane from the cow farts and the pig farts and stuff is the fertilizers that they're using and the chemicals they're using to grow the food that feed crops for the cows and the pigs and stuff a lot of the fish now taken from the oceans ends up as feed for farm animals as high protein feed so they're taking all the fish and the bits of what's left over from when they take they cut the fish apart and sell the parts to the humans and they take the waste products and that's sold off as high protein ingredients for cattle feed and pig feed and stuff but the chemicals that they're using to grow the soy and the the oats and things that are and the hay and other things fed to the farmed animals are ending up in the water system and um, 
making the algae in the rivers and the lakes bloom so strongly that it kills off other, other forms of life. And then these bacteria that eat the dying algae also absorb so much oxygen that it keeps the oxygen level in the lakes and the rivers so depleted that it can't, the rivers and lakes can't support the other forms of life. And then those chemicals end up draining, going down the rivers like the Mississippi and other rivers around the world and ending up in the ocean. The um, Gulf of Mexico has so many dead zones, especially near the mouth of the Mississippi River for now, I think it's like as large as the state of New York or wow. New Zealand or something in the Gulf of Mexico that's considered a dead zone with ox oxygen so low that it can't support other forms of life. And that is from the cattle industry raising food for the livestock industry so farm animals could eat. So we're, what are we really doing? The largest um, dead zone is over in the Middle East. I forget, is it the Arabian Sea? But they also have a big problem with that. Um, and then the, also the golf courses and stuff the, and camp, like sporting camp, sporting fields. Also there, a lot of those are treated with chemicals that then end up in the oceans. And in Hawaii, there's so many golf courses using all these chemicals to keep the greens perfectly green that the, all those chemicals also end up in the, um, in the, oceans in arizona you probably heard about the crops they're growing for the middle east yeah that yeah. certain pieces of land have just been sold to foreigners and they're just growing crops on it um yeah they got it and we have such a um a problem as far as like water is concerned in arizona and it's just like between that and we have a ton of golf courses as well which i always think is just completely crazy like people don't have water and we are like trying to upkeep green grass which is just just about like impossible here you know there are very few people who are successful at doing it um but they've genetically altered the grass so that it could grow in hot temperatures with less water which is crazy but with the water situation in Arizona and parts of California and other um, states where they're growing crops for farmed animals that then get shipped, the crops get shipped to as far as Saudi Arabia and to other countries that they're growing in Arizona, they're using the, the water table in the ground has fallen so far because so much water is being pumped out to water the crop, the feed crops for farmed animals that it's, causing a problem because when you ship soy and wheat and all these other crops grown for farmed animals to another country within that soy and within the wheat and the other stuff is water so they're shipping out billions of gallons of water from the combination of california and utah and arizona that are growing crops to export to other countries to feed farmed animals so that the people in saudi arabia could feed their dairy cows and their cattle it's crazy that we're that's been going on for decades but it's been increasing even more and more and more in the last several years and we we're in a drought we've been in a drought for a really long time and why are we shipping billions of gallons of water every year to out of our water table our water whatever it's called um 
Yeah. That's part of the problem with the drought that's going on in California and Arizona and the heat. And yeah, yeah. it's just the it's completely un, unsustainable, right? It's just this cycle that keeps going and getting worse and getting worse as, as we as we don't fix anything. We're just going around in circles and just, you know, going way, way worse than we're in, we're in such a worse position than we ever have been like yeah this it's just not sustainable for life on earth and the one thing the one thing you could do is just stop eating animals and stop eating dairy and those two things will do make such a difference in your sustainable way of living and if you support local organic farmers even better and if you just you know stop eating processed food it reduces the plastic the plastic garbage that's going into the world um i mean that's a huge issue as far as like there are tiny pieces of plastic in just about everything you eat that is animal based right because it's it's the microplastics are all in the ocean right and every single fish has tested, you know, any fish that they test is testing positive for these microplastics. They're filtering and, the ocean of plastic. Yeah. 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 And then these microplastics, if you're eating fish, you're eating the microplastic. If you're the animals are eating the fish and then you're eating the animals, you're still eating the microplastic because this stuff doesn't degrade. Like it does not compost. It does not degrade. It just stays I didn't, you know? I didn't know how bad it was until I started learning about how it, when you breathe and you're breathing in, you could breathe microplastics because if you're wearing a lot of clothes that have plastics in the fabric and your dryer is, they're drying them and those microplastics are going into the air, you could breathe them in, they could go into your lung and they, lungs and they could pass into the blood. And so we all have microplastics now in us, um, but that that's a problem. If the plastics were made out of plants that were compostable plastics, which most plastics can be because they're most plastics being produced are meant for single use for like food packaging and medical devices and stuff and packaging for products off all those plastics could be start making them out of compostable plastics that would greatly improve the situation. But also if we made those plastics out of hemp, hemp absorbs more CO2 and greenhouse gases per acre than an acre of trees. And so it requires less water than cotton and it also improves the soil and it absorbs and sequesters the greenhouse gases and puts them back in the soil. So if we, you know, if we did that one thing, just stopped, made plastic, single-use plastics out of compostable plant-based plastics, that would make a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's crazy that uh, we are seeing all of the effects and yet we are still, as, as a, you know, human race, we are still so blind to like, we are causing this and there are clear steps right to fix it and we are just not taking them because 
money is more important capitalism is more important and and i think we're we're reaching a point right and and sometimes people talk about um like the hole in the ozone layer right there was this whole big thing when i was a kid about the hole in the ozone layer and everyone's like oh that was a whole big thing and then it just disappeared it didn't just disappear we as a world took a stance and we're like oh we need to stop this because this is like has an immediate effect on our lives and our children's lives and they put procedures in place to make sure that that hole did not grow like but we are seeing the same kind of stuff now like we're seeing the bleaching of reefs we're clearly seeing the overheating of the planet we're seeing flooding um you know like the ice caps are melting we're losing entire countries we're losing parts of cities like superstorms are happening more often and yet we're just oblivious and the ocean this year not only the air was the hottest air temperature recorded in history that since we've been keeping records for like 200 years or whatever it's been um the ocean temperatures in florida reached the hottest surface temperature of an ocean anywhere on earth this summer in florida and uh, the the it's killing the coral reefs and when I grew, I lived in Florida for a little while when I was in my early twenties. And, um, I used to, we used to, I, I would snorkel almost every day cause I lived right nearby the ocean and, um, the coral reefs where I used to snorkel at are gone. Somebody sent me a photo and they're completely, it's just sand because they died and they had corroded into sand and there's just nothing there. And it used to be like these amazing, colorful coral reefs with fish swimming around them. And sometimes you would see like barracuda and sharks and um i never got bit luckily but uh the and i was going to mention also with all the chemicals being ending up in the oceans from the growing feed crops for farmed animals those chemicals also have been increasing the amount of algae unnatural levels of you know algae growth in the oceans which smothers the coral reefs and the yeah. coral reefs, every animal in the ocean depends on coral reefs because those are where the smaller animals live and they hang out and they eat there. And they also, um, the, the shelled creatures hang around there. One thing with the dead zones is the shelled creatures usually die because they move so slowly that they, when the low oxygen water spreads into their area, they just die because they can't swim away like the other fish who can feel the low oxygen in the water, but it's it's causing ocean acidification, which is also a problem for shelled creatures, including the micro creatures that um, the larger, like the whales depend on. Yeah. Krill and yeah. Um, I do wanna say we're coming up on an hour so okay. I want you to, you know, tell our, our audience about how they can find your book and, you know, the different things that, that are coming up for you. Oh, I have another book coming out, which is a lot about what we've been talking about today. Um, this book, Plant-Based Regenerative Nutrition, is on, is on Amazon. That's the easiest way to get it. And um, 
there's it's in bookstores but i don't i don't deal with any of that distribution stuff so i don't know where it is but i know it's on amazon and um dream another dream is another book i wrote and dream your world and but i have another book coming out um and i'll send you a copy when that happens it's going to be pretty soon um about extinction yeah yeah so um and also I encourage people to look up permaculture and read up about permaculture and what we can do as a communities and don't wait for the government and don't wait for corporations to make the change. You can make the change in your life, including by planting trees. One thing I do is when I get an avocado, I take the pit all the time and I plant the pit in a pot. And then when it gets like a few feet tall, I either go plant it somewhere or I leave it outside the co-op or I give the tree to somebody who has land. And I've been planting dozens and dozens of, dozens of avocado trees every year by doing that. Yeah. So look up permaculture and see what you can do for your local neighborhood or community. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing all of your wisdom and, and coming on and again and talking about uh, everything that matters to me, right? Uh, we even touched on sharks today, which is a, an amazing surprise. Um, I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And I hope that everyone goes out and gets your books. I'm in the middle of reading mine. And um, I, I highly recommend it because uh, I also had a medical issue that later in life I learned um, that being vegan is actually helping it as well. So. It, it's just about everything in your life is affected. And, and if you haven't watched Game Changers, definitely, definitely watch it because that opened my eyes to a lot. And Forks Over Knives. The, it's and an older documentary, but that's really good, too. Yeah. Right. Thank, Thank you so you. much for being here. If you're watching this now or you're watching this on the replay, please make sure to like, subscribe and share this with anyone that you think needs to hear it. Um, and if you love the, this podcast, then binge watch the rest. And I will see you next week for another episode of the Galit Speaks podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thanks.